This morning, if you didn't catch the memo, we're in Romans 8, 18, and we're going to go all the way to 30 today. And what I'm going to be doing is focusing a little bit on 28, verse 28, which is probably one of the more popular verses that you've heard repeated uh, all, throughout, all throughout the church. I'm, I'm sure you probably heard this before. It's the famous verse that's going to say, um, for the God works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Uh, real quick, how many of you guys have heard this quoted before? Uh, you've seen this, maybe you've seen the, the bumper stickers or the, the, the license plate brackets or whatever it may be. Uh, I had a t-shirt back in college myself. And that's what we did. We like, we take these things and make it, it just said, it's all good. It's all good. Romans eight twenty eight, right? And you're like, that's what Christians do. We make these little kind of fun little taglines out of it and we wear it on the shirts and everything. Uh, but this is one of these passages that's going to have a little bit of tension. This is a passage that's going to bring a lot of encouragement, a lot of joy uh, on the one hand. We're going to be looking at this passage, and this is one that non-believers, Christians alike, are going to identify with a whole lot. Because on the one hand, there's a lot of joy, there's a lot of satisfaction that comes in understanding that our God is a God who can essentially make lemonade out of lemons, right? That's what he's saying. He's a God who can take evil, bad, terrible things, and he can turn them into good things in the end. And on the other hand, there's also this tension where we sit there and you've heard this quoted at the wrong time or you come in and you may be in that season where you're looking around kind of going, I'm not, I'm not seeing a whole lot of the good that the scriptures talk about, that we sing about, that we put on the bumper stickers and stuff all the time. And there could be a lot of tension and a lot of weightiness as you sit there and go, okay, this isn't exactly what I'm experiencing at this point in time. I'll never forget a number of years ago, I was at a conference and I uh, heard one of the more uh, really powerful and impactful testimonies that I'd heard. But this woman stands up in front of uh, thousands of people sharing the testimony of where God was at this point in time. But uh, it was one of the more tragic stories that I'd heard. And I'm not going to get into the full details, but she goes back to the very beginning and a lot of the tensions of the early days of her marriage and trying to get pregnant and not, any, not being able to do so and having those dreams crushed as she's not able to walk into that reality. Seeing the turmoil that that took on their marriage all the fighting, all the destruction, all the, everything that goes into that, and how in the years to come, they just drifted further and further away as the sadness took over. Uh, and talked about how later on, he came into an affair, and she finds out about it. They divorce and separate. She falls into depression. He wins the divorce proceedings. She has to try to work and provide, and it's not really working out well at all for her. She falls further and further into depression, gets into a car accident, winds up in a wheelchair where she was for the last decade or so of her life. And she talks about this story about how well-intentioned friends come to her in the middle of this pain, in the middle of this season, and they're trying to encourage her and lift her up, and they use this verse a lot of times, and they say, hey, cheer up, essentially, God is going to make all things, he's going to do all things good, he's going to make all things good to those who love him that are called according to his purpose. And she's sitting there going like, this has been years now. We're not talking about weeks. This has been weeks upon weeks and months upon months and years upon years. And I've been looking for this good. I've been longing for this good. I've been asking God to come and to bring redemption and healing into my story right now. And I'm just not seeing it. A few weeks back, I talked about how the number three reason that people are walking away from the faith or not entering into the faith in the first place was this desire for freedom. And it was this a desire that, you know what, I don't want a church and I definitely don't want a God or anything speaking into my life. Like I want to be free to make, to do everything that I want to do. The number one reason is essentially this issue right here is the inability to reconcile the love and the power of God with the insurmountable amount of pain and suffering that we experience today. I was watching Jerry Seinfeld, uh, his, com his uh, uh, comedians in cars getting coffee 
thing on Netflix a little while ago, and he had this one episode with Ricky Gervais. Ricky Gervais is a famous comedian, a famous atheist as well. And they were having this conversation. He goes, Ricky, you ever pray? You're, a fan, you're an atheist. You don't believe, but do you ever pray? I mean, when things get crazy or anything? And Ricky's response is really interesting. He says, no. Why would I ask God to help me find my keys when he stood still and he did absolutely nothing during the Holocaust? And for a lot of us, like, that's where we are this morning. It may not necessarily be the pain of the Holocaust or something like that, but it may be feeling that way very, very personally for you. And it may not necessarily be that thing out there, but it's, it's definitely this, hey, God, I've been crying out why for a really long time. I've been, I've been crying out for, and I've been trying to get pregnant for a lot of, for a lot of time, years, and it has not actually happened. We've been trying and praying for reconciliation in this marriage, that it would be healed. We've been going and doing the studies. We've been going to the counseling, and we haven't fully healed. We haven't seen this thing come about. Like, like, I can't find a spouse. I've been begging God for a spouse. Father, where are you in the middle of this thing? Recently, we heard from a friend, a 40-year-old mother of three a few weeks back, diagnosed with MS. 40-year-old mother of three, not able to walk anymore, and going down that path at 40 years old. Church, where in the world is the good that he's talking about here in this text when all that you're looking around and seeing is nothing good? That's what this passage is going to help us with. He's going to, he's going to help us find the hope in the middle of seasons like that. And so again, if you have your Bible, Romans 8, 18, and I'm going to take it all the way to verse 30. I want to remind us a little bit of what brings us into this text before we jump into some of these things. But again, this is Paul writing a letter to the first century church all about the good news of Jesus Christ, the victory that has been won for you in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It has come to you solely on the basis of God's grace through faith, not anything of yourself. And when you come to him in faith, this righteousness of God, which you are not able to attain in and of yourself, is gifted to you as a gift of his mercy and his grace. And so the tension that he's dealing with here in our recent chapters is, okay, that seems a little bit too easy. So how in the world are you going to get people to obey and not just revel in sin if you keep talking about grace and faith and things like that? And so he deals with that in chapter 7. And he's dealing with this internal turmoil, and he says, okay, I, I, I do this thing in me that I don't want to do. Like, there's an internal struggle of sin, even this side of salvation. And he says this is one of the most relatable passages in Scripture. I, I do the thing in me that I hate. I don't do what I want to do. I don't do the thing that I do want to do. Like, there's a turmoil inside of me. And so here's the solution he gets to in chapter 8. He says, what do I do about this? He says, number one, remember, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. In other words, if you're dealing with the weight and the guilt of shame and sin inside of your life, right, there is a, there, there is a guilt and conviction that is not the same as shame and condemnation. And he says, be rid of that, be free of that. The second thing he says is to keep your eyes upon the Holy Spirit. And when you keep your eyes and your mind fixated upon the Holy Spirit, he is the one that will go and set you free. And so he's leading into that, into this section in verses 12 to 17. He's talking all about the Holy Spirit. We sang about it in these songs just a little bit ago. The Spirit is the one who assures you and reminds you that it's not just righteousness that's been gifted to you, but you've been called a child of God. He's brought you into a brand new family. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, there's a brand new designation whereby you and me, we are sons and daughters of the King, right? This is a brand new thing. He assures us of this brand new standing with him. And then he talks about if you are a son or a daughter of the King, you you also then uh, have an inheritance that is coming. And so he says, provided that you suffer well with him. And so he transitions into this time of suffering in the context of, hey, there's an inheritance coming for you and for me. 
And so he jumps into 18, and he's like one of the most compelling verses. I love that, like he said, this is the greatest chapter, I think, in all of Scripture right here. But he says, for I am convinced that the sufferings of this present time, they're not worthy to be compared to the glories that are still to come. In other words, that inheritance that is coming, because you are a son or daughter of the king, I'm convinced that the sufferings that you're dealing with right now, like it's nothing compared to what's still ahead and so from the outset, I want to go ahead and I want to dispel a couple myths before we get into the hope. And these are myths that oftentimes get in the way of our holding on to the hope that he's going to point us to here in the scripture. The first myth we got to break apart is essentially this. Like, if you live good, then you will get good. Right? If you live well, you live faithfully, you live the good Christian A-team life, all right? You dominate sin, you do all the right church things and everything, you live good, then you'll essentially get good in life. And this is one of these things that uh, word of faith theology, prosperity th- theology, has really done us a big disservice. All right? And so it's not so much that you go to the extremes of these theologies or anything like that, but it trickles into our faith, and it plays out in a lot of damaging ways. But prosperity theology is essentially going to say this. It's going to say that God's will for your life is prosperity now, health now, money now, power now, all the goodness of life right now. And so it bases from... Um, A lot of times it comes from Jesus' teaching on how to pray. And he says, here's how you pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come right now. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, inasmuch as something's going to be true in heaven, right? Inasmuch as there is going to be no more pain then, there should be no more pain right now. Inasmuch as there's going to be mansions then, there should be mansions right now. Inasmuch as there's going to be perfect health then, there should be perfect health right now. Inasmuch as it is true in the kingdom of God, it, need, it, it, it should be true right now. And so there's tension there because there is this God who comes in and brings about these things and brings redemption and healing in the middle of these things, and yet they're suffering at the exact same time. And so word of faith theology comes in, and it it gets mixed in in a lot of different ways. But word of faith theology comes in and says, hey, if you could just ask God with the right kind of faith or the right prayer formula, or you say it with enough passion and conviction, or whatever it may be, you have enough faith, then whatever is spoken in true faith will come about because God has made his will subject to your own. And so we see this kind of thing play out in extremes all the time. On TV, Joel Osteen, one of the most popular preachers in the world, he's going to say, God wants us to prosper financially, to have plenty of money, fulfill the destiny that he's laid out for us. Right? And you're going to see it come out in, in, in a little bit more extreme. In fact, Kenneth Copeland, another popular one, you get spiritually rich, you will become financially rich. Millions of followers, huge following, like some of the most popular preaching, and, and you get it because it, it, it appeals to a lot of things that we would love to have in this life and time. And the greater problem is that it touches on enough scripture to sound kind of true, right? Third John chapter 1, verse 2, John is going to pray. He's going to say, I pray that you may prosper in all things, be in good health, just as your soul prospers. It's a great thing to pray. Great thing to long for, right? Like, is it, let me ask you this. Is the prosperity of a first century believer the same as the prosperity in some of the ways that we talk about and apply it today? It's not even remotely close. Nevertheless, it is still a good thing to be praying and talking about right here. James is going to say the same thing. The prayer offered in faith uh, will heal the sick and make you well, which is absolutely true, right? He does come in. He is a God who brings healing today. He does come in and do the miraculous. However, the nature of the miraculous is that it is 
miraculous. And so he does come in. He does bring healing. It does, uh, he does respond a lot of times in the context of our faith. And he does do these. This past week, we were celebrating some different stories that were taking place in our church. Miraculous healing in little children. And we were celebrating this thing because our God is a God who comes and hears prayer. And he responds in faith. And he does come and he brings the miraculous into this thing. But at the exact same time, I want you to see Paul's perspective here is because he, believe, he begins from this context of suffering. This is what he says, well, for I consider the sufferings of this present time, they're not worthy to be compared to the glories that are still to come. In other words, it's a given that he's going to be working with, he's going to be living in the context of suffering. This is present tense. And, and keep in mind, we're talking about the Apostle Paul. We're not talking about, um, we're talking about 18 Christian right here, Right? Probably, again, greatest missionary we've ever seen, greatest evangelist we've ever seen. This is Paul who's written nearly half the New Testament, right? This is 18 believer right here. This is not uh, Jonah who's running away from God and the suffering that he's experiencing is a result of a direct sin and direct rebellion against God. This is Paul who is living in the middle of this time and he is out there on a ship uh, going and doing mission work and he's experiencing the tragedy of an actual shipwreck. This is who we're talking about right here. In the middle of faithfulness, Paul's going to be experiencing tremendous amounts of suffering. He's going to be persecuted. He's going to be imprisoned for his faith. He's going to be shipwrecked. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be isolated. He's going to be living as a wandering nomad in the middle of poverty for the entirety of his adult life. And so this is what Jesus is talking about when he says, in this world, you will have tribulations. Be ready for it. Expect it. That is the promise. This is verse 22 when he says, all of creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth from the beginning until now. Church, why is creation groaning for the day of redemption? It's because of our sin. In other words, it's not necessarily creation's fault. It was Adam and Eve's sin, our sin that came into the world, brought about the curse of sin for creation. And now he says creation is even groaning for the redemption of man. And it's not always contingent upon your own thing right there. And the reason I want to begin here is because it's not so much that our error is going to go to the extremes. It's not so much that you're going to be sitting here saying, give me my mansions, give me my millions, give me all the different things, right? This is your promise for me. However, it does subtly creep into our daily thinking and into our theology. And we are in danger of coming to the point of saying, God, why? I served you. I was the one that was tithing all those years. I was the one volunteering in children's ministry. Like, I was the one that was faithful for so long. Like, I, was, I had the quiet times, God. I was so much better than those people over there. They seem to be thriving. Where in the world is what I'm doing? And we need to begin here because, like, it, again, it's not the danger of going to those extremes, but it is the danger of entitlement, saying, God, don't you know who I am? And being caught off guard in the promises of God and thinking that he owes you something he didn't promise. And what we have to see right here is that Paul is beginning with this assumption in this world in which we are living, before the final redemption of all mankind, there will be suffering. There will be difficulty. And I want you to picture what it would be like, again, for the first century Christian. The entirety of their world was unbelievable suffering, persecution for being a Christian. Nobody had mansions. Nobody had it easy. No one had massive retirement funds and things of that nature. Everyone struggled in the first century. And this is the beginning that he's beginning with here in this thing. And I don't want us to be caught off guard. Or for the extreme things to subtly creep into our theology. And we sit there caught off guard and we're going, why did you do this to me? Don't you know who I am? 
And so he blows up that first myth right here at the beginning. And he blows it up and he's like, no, 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 this is the foundation. We are beginning in this thing. And I'm going to show you something even greater that's going to be able to sustain you in those things. But don't be caught off guard when it comes. Don't be caught off guard when it comes. That's the first one, right? Doing good doesn't necessarily bring about always good. The second one that we need to bring apart is this idea that in any season of suffering, you're necessarily going to be able, you're going to, be able to discern the good that God wants to do. That you're always going to be able to see it. You're going to be able to connect the dots and it's always going to make sense to you or something like that. And I think this is the one we're going to see here in this text probably more than anything else because when you read this passage and you know that God is a God who redeems the evil, which he absolutely does. God is a God who breaks in and he can, he does come in and he does do these things. When you know that that's who God is and you happen to be in that season, it is natural for you and me to be looking around and kind of going, okay, God, I, I, I need to be able to understand this a little bit more. I need to be able to connect the dots and to see what is the good that you're trying to do. I need to see how the story ends because I don't have a whole lot of patience right now in the middle. Like, this is, this is what he's saying. Like, sometimes you're going to be able to see what he's doing, and the reality is, like, sometimes you're just not. Like, sometimes you're just not. Sometimes you can see, hey, that painful breakup from a long time ago, yes, it opened the door to a much more healthy relationship. Praise God. I didn't see it in the moment. I was able to look back and be able to see the fruitfulness from that thing. There are times you're going to be able to look back and say, hey, you know what? That car wreck, it brought about my sobriety. You know, like, that, uh, that, that health scare, and maybe not take for granted the relationships that were in my life all the time. Like, there are times you can come together and you can piece it together and say, okay, I see the good that you're trying to do. There are times that you'll not be able to do that and you'll be left in mystery and wonder, kind of going, I don't, I don't understand the why, God. I don't understand what you're doing. Like, this is the hope that he's pointing us to here in this text. This is what he's saying, verse 24. In this hope, we were saved. It wasn't like in the seeing, it was while we were longing for redemption when we did not fully understand the whole story. In that hope, we were saved. He says, now hope that is seen isn't hope for who hopes for what he sees. Verse 24. In other words, like if you could always understand the why, you really have no need for hope. If you had it all, if you're able, always able to connect the dots, the dots uh, you wouldn't have to have, lean on faith. You wouldn't have to lean on hope in that season. I love the way Tony Evans talks about this, but he's talking about hope and he says this. Hope is a joyful expression about the future. It's a trust that our tomorrows will be greater than our yesterdays. Real hope combines with radical trust in God. It combines a radical trust in God with the candid admission that we don't always know the details about our future, but here it is. What we do know, however, it far outweighs what we don't. And this is what Paul's going to be pointing us to here in this text. Church, you may not always understand the why. You may not under, always get the answers to the questions. You may not always understand the why. But if you know the who, you know the one who holds you in the palm of his hand. You know the one who spoke everything into existence. You know the one who knows the end from the very beginning. If you know the who, then what you know about the who can carry you through the why. And this is what he's, long, what he's pointing us to right here, church. You know the who. You know who he is. This will carry you through the why. And so he gives us a couple things right here that we can hold on to about the character of God and what he's doing in the middle of our suffering right here. The first one is one that we talked about a few weeks back. You and I can always know beyond a shadow of a doubt in whatever season that you're in, if we are keeping our eyes fixated upon him, then he is using that season of suffering to bring us into conformity with his son. Or in other words, to shape us more and more into the image of Christ, into his likeness, shaping his character inside of you and me. This is what he talks about in verse 28. We know that in all things, God works for the good. God's good, not necessarily what we think is good in that moment. He is working for our good or for his good uh, always. 
who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In other words, like what is the purpose and the good that God wants to do? He wants to shape you more and more into the image of his son. This is what he's doing. He's growing you into maturity and he is setting you free to engage his purposes. And one of the ways that he does this is by forging qualities, as we talked about a few weeks back, things like endurance and character and strength and the fruit of the Holy Spirit and things like that. And he often does it in the fires of suffering. One of the um, shows that Caleb and I have been watching recently is Bear Grylls. Uh, have you guys seen this show? Uh, Bear Grylls, Man vs. Wild, or the different variations of that. But uh, he's an outdoor survivalist, and we've absolutely love it because I really identify with him a whole lot. But um, I'm just kidding. There's nothing similar at all. Um, but it's a fascinating show. It's all about outdoor survival, and it's some of the most crazy things in the world. I, uh, maybe we'll share a little bit more a little bit later on. But the first episode, I remember we, were, we sat down and we were watching this, and it was this one episode where he gets dropped off in the Sahara Desert. And you remember this? It's like, it's, it's absolutely crazy. He's like, he's in a helicopter and he gets dropped off in the Sahara. He's like, no one tracks across the Sahara. Everybody dies. However, I'm going to do it today, right? And so um, he's dropped off in the Sahara Desert. He's like eating rattlesnakes and scorpions. And Caleb uh, <laughs> looks over at me and he's like, Daddy, he's got a helicopter. Why in the world don't they just take him to the, edge, the other side of the Sahara? <laughs> and I was like, that's a great point, buddy. I was like, I don't, know, I don't think it would make a great show. Uh, can you imagine? Like, it kind of defeats the purpose of the show, right? <laughs> We're sitting there going, going yeah, it, it, wouldn't be, it wouldn't be great TV. Can you imagine, like, getting to the other side, and you're like, well, there's the dangerous Sahara. Well, that was nice. See you later, right? That's, it's not going to get great ratings or anything like that. What I love about Bear, he talks about this in his show. He goes, what I love about outdoor survival is, is I know that every single time is not just a testing of my strength and endurance, but it's also a forging of it. And he goes, as I go through all these trials and I go through all these difficulties, every single time, I got, he is strengthened. Like, there's a strengthening going on inside of me as a result of the things that I'm going through. Randy Alcorn talks about this, by the way, in his book. I love what he says. He says, God could have easily created scientists, mathematicians, athletes, and musicians. But he didn't. He created children who grew up to take on these roles after a really long and difficult process of growing into maturity. In the exact same way, God doesn't make us fully Christ-like the moment that you're born again. He conforms us into the image of Christ gradually and produces things like courage and strength and hope and love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and all the different things there. As you and I continue to trust in him, keep our eyes fixated totally and completely upon him, and we keep walking with him even in the middle of the pain. And he says it's a lot like a tapestry, a beautiful tapestry. If you were to look on the underbelly of a tapestry, you would see all these strings and all these cords and all these things that look like a jumbled mess. And you wouldn't have any idea, like, like, this looks like the most disgusting, convoluted thing in the world. And then you turn it around, and you're going to be able to see the beautiful artistic piece that he's doing in you. He says, this is what God is doing in the middle of our suffering. And what he's saying right here is, like, he, if God has started something beautiful in you, you can take it to the bank. Like, what he foreknew, he predestined, what he called, and he's bringing into future glory. He, what he began in you, he will continue to produce a beautiful, beautiful work inside you. And so the question we need to be asking is not necessarily, okay, God, how are you going to bring me out of this situation? But Father, okay, what are you wanting to do with me in the middle of this situation? It's not always, okay, God, how are you going to get me out? But God, what are you trying to do? What do you want to bring to me in the middle of this thing? And the hope that he's going to keep pointing us to here in this section here is not always getting the answer once again. To what we were talking about just a minute ago, there are going to be the times when you're asking God, 
what is the good that you're trying to bring about right here? And you're not going to get the clarity of answer. But the hope that you and I get to cling to right here in this text is still in the middle of that place, in the middle of that why, the Holy Spirit comes and he intercedes on your behalf with groanings too deep for words. This is a tangible, physical hope that you and I are able to cling to here in the middle of these seasons of suffering. It's what he says in verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit will also help us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes, meaning he comes in and he advocates on our behalf. He comes in and he says, you who don't know what to say, you who don't understand the why, you who don't know what's going on, take heart because I am here advocating on your behalf. And here's what our God does. He comes and he intercedes with groanings too deep for words. The word that he uses right there is groanings. It's a deeply emotive word. It's a word that simply comes in and he says, he shares in the depth of our emotion. That's what groanings are. He comes in and he finds you in that place when you don't understand anything that's going on. He meets you in the middle of that place and he groans along with you. This is who our God is, church. Uh, John chapter 11, I'm thinking of, of Jesus and his interaction with Lazarus's family, Mary, Mary and Martha. I don't know if you guys remember this story, but you know they're all friends. He, he's good friends with Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And he finds out Lazarus has gotten really, really sick. And they, and they call for Jesus and say, Jesus, come quickly because he's really sick and he's going to die. And Jesus, knowing what's about to take place, he ends up taking his time. And it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to people. But in the middle of this time that, that elapses, Lazarus passes away. And you remember reading about it in chapter 11. Uh, he comes to town and Mary greets him on the outskirts of town. And Mary looks at Jesus and he's like, she's like, where were you? Where were you? Like, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died, she says. Why? 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 You have the power. I know that you love us. It doesn't make sense what we're going through right now. Like, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, verse 33, this is how he responds. He sees Mary crying. And he looks around and he sees all the Jewish brethren. They're out there and they're weeping over their brother Lazarus. And it says this. It says that when he saw their weeping and the Jews that were also weeping with them, he was deeply moved in his spirit and he was troubled. The word that's used there is it's a word that means it means to be grieved to the point of anger. Like, like so deeply in tune with the sorrow and the mourning and the pain of his friends that inside he's going through turmoil right then. And then we get to the most beautiful passage, uh, one of the more beautiful ones in, in, in Scripture and stuff. But it just simply says this. He, he finds out where they laid his body. They come and he sees. And it just simply says this. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. And the beauty of that story, like, and none of it makes any sense because we know Jesus. We know his power. We know what he can do. He even knows what's about to take place. He knows what's going to take place. He knows that he's going to touch Lazarus and he's going to raise him from the dead. Nevertheless, the tears of his friends... And the tears of the community around them as they are weeping over the loss of Lazarus, Jesus enters into their pain. And in the middle of their groveling, he weeps with them with this inner groaning in, in, inside of him. And he sits there and he weeps with them. Church, this is who our God is. You want to know where the hope is in the middle of the season of suffering? It's not in a God who's far away giving you philosophical answers. It's in a God who draws near to you and weeps with you, longs with you in the middle of your mourning, in the middle of your questions. He's the God who through the Holy Spirit comes and intercedes on your behalf and he mourns with you and he groans with you. This is who our God is. This past week, there was an article going around that was titled, uh, Empathy is Sin. Right? And it was written by this person that I went to college with and was in the same uh, Christian fraternity with. Very famous article. It went around and it was making the argument that it is wrong and sinful for Christians to sit there and to mourn with people that should not be mourning. Right? 
and the, the whole thing here, and I'm reading this article on the aftermath of things going like, this is who our God is. I don't know how we get away, away from this, but this is who our God is. Our God is a God who chooses not to remain distant, not to remain abstract, not to remain only in the philosophical, but our God is a God who, through the Father, he sends his one and only Son in the middle of your brokenness, in the middle of our weakness, in the middle of our why God thing, and he comes and he takes the, the sting of sin and shame away so that we can live with him for now and all of eternity. This is the Holy Spirit who is interceding our behalf and groaning too deep for words. It's Jesus and his weeping on behalf of Lazarus and the family right here. This is who our God is. And church, some of us need to hear that right now because you are in the middle of that why. You're in the middle of this season where you're sitting there going, God, I've been crying out for answers and I'm not getting it. I don't understand. I can't understand how you are all powerful and all good and yet you let my brother Lazarus die. It doesn't make any sense. And you're in the middle of this why, and what we have to be able to see is that in the middle of that why, he is not abstract and far away. He is with you in the Holy Spirit. He is interceding for you, and he's groaning on your behalf with groanings too deep for words. And here's the beauty of what he's saying, church. Like, it's not a competition where he's comparing your pain to somebody else's pain to say, okay, who's worthy of my compassion? Right? We're not competing against Auschwitz for God's compassion. Are you with me? Like, we're not competing against this. You're not competing against somebody else's pain and saying, like, hey, that guy fell off a cliff and was mangled by a bear. Is he going to care about my ankle surgery? It's not that competition that's set up. And some of you need to hear that right now because you don't think the pain that you're living in or you're experiencing right now is legit. Because you're always able to point to somebody else and say, you know what? They've got it worse. And they do. And it was like, it's not a competition. We're not competing for the compassion of God. This is the beauty of it. He's saying, like, no, no, no. If you are a child of God, you have the indwelling Holy Spirit. This is what he does. He longs to make intercession on your behalf. He longs to meet you where you are and to come and to just intercede with these groanings too deep for words. And church, there is hope to be found there. Never forget a number of years ago, a few years back, Kat and I found ourselves in the waiting room uh, over the loss of someone that we really, really deeply loved. And we sat there, and we, we came to the waiting room, and um, we knew it was, hey, it was a couple weeks before things were going to play out. And we sat in that waiting room, and it was one of these things where we just had, we didn't have words. We didn't know what to do. Like, both of us make our, like, we are talkers, right? This is what we do. We have explanations for things, and we, you know, we explain things, and we talk. And we sat there in this waiting room, and we had absolutely no words for what was going on. We sat there just looking like ghosts, and I'll never forget this chaplain comes and walks up. And he just sat next to us. And he didn't say anything. He just let us sit there in silence for a little bit. And after a while, he just simply said, hey, would you, would you be okay if I prayed for you? And we sat there and we're like, yeah, of course. And he just sat there and he prayed on our behalf. And he prayed a prayer that we were not able to express in that moment. And he was able to come in and intercede on our behalf. When we had no words, we had no explanation, we had no energy. We had no will. We had no desire to come in that time and to worship or anything like that. He came in and he interceded on our behalf. And church, that is the hope that we are clinging to here in this scripture. That's who our God is. And it's, it's not just that. You, you know what that's like when a friend comes and meets you in your pain and is able to pray for you. Like, you know how encouraging that is. 
You know what that's like when someone does for you what you can't do. And the beauty of this is you could just come and say, I heard a pastor say it like this. He goes, people ask me all the time if I can come and pray for them. He says, yeah, I'll come and I'll pray for you. But at the same time, you need to understand that you've got the beauty of the triune God interceding on your behalf as well. And that is the hope that's here in this scripture. It's not just you and me interceding on our behalf. It is the God of all creation who comes and sits with you and meets with you in that moment of saying, why God, why? And he's not coming with philosophical answers. He's not trying to solve all the problems right now. He's not trying to tie it all up with a neat and tidy little bow, but he's simply sitting there and letting you grieve and interceding on your behalf with these groanings that are too deep for words. In church, there is hope there. And the beauty of what he does from here is that as time comes, goes on, and as he continues to meet with you in this season, he's going to come and he's going to bring to remembrance that guess what? This isn't, as it, this isn't all that there is. That there is coming a day when he's going to return again. He's going to make all things brand new. Your physical body, the creation, it's all going to be brand new. This is the hope that he's pointing us to here in the scripture, verse 22. We know that the whole of creation, he says, it's been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. Not only so, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly, he says, as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship. In other words, like the picture that he's pointing us to right here is sort of a coming home party of sorts to something that has already legally taken place. And so he's already talked about this in 12 to 17, this exact same chapter, that through faith, he has gifted you adoption. He's brought you into his family. You are a child of God. You are a son or daughter of the king, right? And legally that has taken place. And he's pointing us here to this time that we get to return again and we get to meet our eternal heavenly father face to face. Never forget a number of years ago, back at the uh, Northwest Bible days, well, we knew a couple there. We had some, some friends that were there that were going through the adoption process and they were adopting from South Sudan. And uh, they come to this place where the adoption had become legal. They'd gone through with it already. It was already taken care of, but the government interceded, and they would not allow that child to come home with them. And that battle took place for over a year and a half, almost two years. And in the middle of this thing, they were legally adopted. This was their child, and they were not able to meet him physically. And so they packed up their entire family. They sold the things that they had, and they moved over to there uh, to live just outside of the orphanage so that they can meet their son for the first time. And he comes back and he tells a story. He goes, he goes the amount of joy of that moment was just indescribable. You know, you, you, I can't even begin to paint the picture of what it was like to show up to that orphanage for the very first time, for that kid to come out and be completely surprised, had no idea this was taking place, and to be able to meet their father and their mother for the very first time. And for our joy to be able to meet our son and to be able to wrap him into our arms and to bring him into our home. We brought him home, he says, and he's like, this is the first time that he had a legitimate bed and a bedroom and consistent food and provision and things like that. And he goes, they came into our home and like we, we came back and he's like, it's undescribable joy of that day. And church, this is the hope that he's pointing us to right here. This day is coming. This day is coming. There's going, to be a, there's going to be a reunion with the Father where we get to see him in all of his glory. We get to behold his goodness. And we get to see this thing that we've longed for all of these days. This groaning is going to be fulfilled. And we're going to be able to see him. And it's going to take away the pain of the things that we are going through in this day and age. We talked about redeemed and fully healed bodies, church. Do you ever think about what this is going to be like? We're not being reunited with the Father in the brokenness of where we are today. That's what this hope is talking about. Like we are going to have fully redeemed and healed bodies. To which everybody over 40-year-old should be saying amen. Right? Like if you know what I'm talking about right there, right? Like we're sitting, we know what groaning is like. 
I mean, this past week I woke up and I'm like, babe, my ankle hurts. She's like, what did you do? I'm like, I don't know. I sit at a desk. I'm a pastor. It's not like I'm Bear grills jumping off of like mountains and things like that, right? Like we know the pain of growing older. This past week I'm sitting in my men's group and um, one of the guys in our group said this. He said, aging is one of those things that I don't think I was ever prepared for. He goes, watching your parents age and helping them go through it and then transitioning Watching them get old, watching the difficulty of, 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 of that, he's like, he, he's like, I was never prepared for the pains of that time. And then going through it yourself, and, and then being someone who's been so self-sufficient their entire life, and now leaning entirely and completely upon your own children to take care of your every need, it's one of the most humbling things that I've ever experienced in my life. And he simply goes, I know this hope in ways that I've never understood before. Like church, like this is what he's saying, right? A broken body, like a complete redemption. A meeting of the Father where all things are made new. The body is brand new. There's total and complete healing. This is what he's talking about right here, church. Like he says, creation is gonna be new. Can you imagine what a new creation is gonna be like? Can you imagine this day that he talks about? This is happening, by the way. Like this isn't just theoretical stuff we sing about. This isn't just abstract hope. This is the promise of God for us. He's returning again. He's going to make all things new, not just your physical body, but creation. Like the best that I can understand it is he's going to kind of take Galveston is going to become Hawaii, right? Like can you imagine what that day is going to be like? I, I don't know. I can't imagine what Hawaii is going to be like. like. If that's depraved form right there, tarnished by sin, what does redeemed Hawaii look like? I don't understand that. I can only imagine the beauty of creation as it was supposed to be. But this is the promise that's taking place right here. He talked about animals. The animal kingdom is even going to be restored. He talks about in Isaiah chapter 11, he's going to say, lions will lie down with lambs, right? Wolves will lie down with goats. Children will be able to play over the hole of cobras, right? Which Caleb's fascinated by right now. Like cobras are the coolest thing in the world. And he's saying like, there's going to be a day children are going to actually play over the holes of cobras. Why? Because evil's going to be taken away. They're not going to be tarnished by the sting of sin. This is part of the redemptive purposes and the plan of God, a full recreation, so to speak. I can't even imagine what that may be like. People always ask about pets in that time. And I would not put it past, it doesn't say anything about owning pets or anything, but I would not put it past the goodness of God to have a reunion there with Fluffy, right? Um, if evil's done away with, probably not cats, but you know, like dogs, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Cats are wonderful. I'm, I'm married, my wife's name is Cat, so she will be there. Um, church, do you ever allow your mind to go there? Do you, do you ever allow the realities of this eternal future hope to come and to not just be theoretical, but to come and to penetrate your soul and to get to the place where you're sitting there going, these aren't just abstract hopes that we sing about. I mean, I sat there with a lot of conviction going through this passage today, going like, I don't remember the last time I sat there and I started thinking beyond just the next year here at the church or the next three to five years or 10 years. And I started be going beyond that to eternity thinking, I get to meet Jesus one day. Total and complete recreation. Like, when was the last time you sat with that? Johnny Erickson Tata, great evangelist, famous story of being, uh, of being paralyzed when she was a young girl, being a young teenager, quadriplegic for more than 70 years of her life. She writes this, she says, when I get to heaven, I'm going to push my wheelchair to the throne of Jesus. Notice that I'm going to be walking at that time. I'm going to thank him for every character refining work that he did in me and through me because of this wheelchair in which I live. 
And then I'm going to ask Jesus to send this wheelchair straight to hell because it was only needed and relevant because of the wreckage of my sin. Church, isn't that awesome? That is the hope that he's giving us here in the scriptures. I'll never forget my aunt telling me that people who've lived with disabilities their entire life understand this hope in ways that people who've been healthy never will. And she knows. I've told you the stories about my cousin, 30 years, the entirety of her life in a wheelchair. One difficulty after the next, constantly praying for healing and seeing little victories along the way. And she goes, we understand this hope. We've been longing for this hope all of our days. We can't wait to meet Jesus. We can't wait for the, re- for the redemption of our bodies. She passed away a number of years ago, and this is the testimony of the funeral singing. She is dancing in the presence of Jesus right now as a result of these promises. And she goes, Aaron, we, we understand this hope in ways that other people don't understand. Sat with my men's group this past week, and one of the guys told us a story about how a few years back, his father had walked with the Lord for the majority of his life, lost all of his eyesight. And he goes, this is the hope that we're longing for. This is the hope that we cling to and we talk about all the time, how the next time my dad opens up his eyes, he's going to be in the presence of Jesus, eyesight restored, beholding his beauty, beholding his glory, totally healed. This is the hope that we cling to, church. Like, this is the hope that sustains Paul. In the middle of all these sufferings, he says, I am convinced the sufferings of this present time, they're not worthy to be compared to the glory that's still to come. This is what sustains him. All of the persecution, all of the shipwreck, all of the abandonment, all of the loneliness, all of the poverty, all of the pain, all of the why, God, why. This is the hope that sustains him. This is the hope he talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 when he says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has even imagined the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Church, it's like handing a Monet to a kindergartner and expecting them to understand and, 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 and comprehend the beauty and the worth of what they're beholding right then and there. This is what he's saying. We can't imagine this day. And yet it is certain for you and for me who are found in Christ Jesus, not only because he's given us his righteousness, he's given us his favor. He's given us the right to be called children of God, sons and daughters of the king. And this is the hope that you and I get to cling to today. And what I would submit to you today, the same hope that carried Paul back then, is the same hope that can carry you today. Every single tear, every single bit of pain, every moment of sadness and struggle will all be wiped away when we see Jesus. Verse 20, it's like a mother in the pains of her labor compared to the insurmountable joy of holding that child for the very first time. Every mother is looking at that saying, it was all worth it. I'm not even thinking about the pain of a moment ago because I'm beholding the beauty of what I'm holding right here. This is the image that he gives us. And what I'm saying to you today, this is the hope that you can hold on to today and will carry you through the season of suffering that you may be in, be it now or in the very near future. Shane and Shane wrote a song a little while ago called Though You Slay Me. I think it's absolutely excellent. Shane Bernard wrote it when his dad passed away unexpectedly and in the middle of grief and in the middle of pain. And it's an entire song that's praising him and thanking him, saying, no matter what comes my way, we're still going to worship you. No matter the amount of pain and suffering, we're still going to worship you. In the middle of their music video, they splice to a John Piper sermon. And I love Piper's words here. He says this, not only is your affliction momentary, not only is it light in comparison to eternity and glory there, but every second of it is totally meaningful. 
Every millisecond of your misery in the path of obedience is producing a peculiar glory that you will get because of that suffering. I don't care if it was cancer or criticism, slander or sickness. It wasn't meaningless. It is doing something in you. And of course you can't always see what it's doing. Don't look to what's seen. When your mom dies, when a child dies, when you get cancer at 40, when your car careens into the sidewalk and takes her out, don't say that it's meaningless. It's not. It is working for you an eternal weight of glory. Therefore, do not lose heart, but take these truths of Romans 8 and day by day focus on them. Preach them to your soul. Preach them to yourself every morning. Get alone with God and preach his word into your mind, and I love this, until your heart sings with confidence that you are known and fully loved. And church, that is my hope and my prayer for you today, that you would take these truths of the word of God, this hope of glory, this hope of seeing him face to face, the recreation. And that you would preach these truths to your soul and to the point that you rise up and your heart sings with confidence of the truths of what God is going to do for you. My hope is that for the person that came in and you're in the middle of this season, that you would hold on, that you would cling to him, the one who can carry you through the why, that you would know the who, that he would carry you through this time, that you would allow the Holy Spirit to intercede on your behalf. And that you wouldn't always seek for the answers, that you would just sit there and cry out to him and say, Holy Spirit, I don't understand this. Come in and intercede with groanings too deep for my words. My hope for the family members that are here, the friends that are here, it may not be your season, but you're walking through it with somebody else, that you would take our cue from the Holy Spirit who just sits there and intercedes with groanings too deep for words, not explanations, not philosophical reasons, that you would take your cue from the Holy Spirit, that you would intercede on behalf of a brother or a sister. And that you would sit with them, that you would let them mourn, and that you would do so. And in the right timing later on, that you would point them to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. There is coming a God. When he's going to come back again, he's going to make all things brand new. And if you are found in Christ, there will be a recreation of your body, of the physical world. And you will sit with him. You will behold his beauty. You will see his glory. And it will take away the sting of sin that we are dealing with today. May we walk in that hope. May that be your hope today. Father God, we do love you and praise you. Because this world is not all that there is. Yet we know you have love and you have purpose in the middle of it all. And so, Jesus, I pray that you would meet through your Holy Spirit the person who's come in and maybe they are in that season of suffering. Father, would you erase any thoughts that that person may have of thinking, hey, it's not a big deal because I can always point to something greater. God, would you allow them to rest in the promises that you give them today? Father, that you would sit, that you would intercede again with groanings too deep for words. Father, I pray that you would come and that you would fill us all with hope today, that we would be ready. God, that we would be prepared for if that season's coming at some point in the future, 2021, 2022, whatever you have ahead of us, Father, we will sing, we will trust in you. God, we will walk with you and keep our eyes fixated upon the hope that you give us here. Father, sustain us today. Come and enter in with us today, we pray. In Jesus' mighty and holy name, amen and amen.